December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 38, and I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> we don't want to get into that just yet, do we? <laughs> nah, let's, let's hold off on that for a little while. We'll uh, pretend everything is awesome, though. <laughs> all right, unless... The people listening to this have already listened to that special episode of Two True Freaks, in which case they know what's going on. But for those that don't listen to Two True Freaks, what's your problem? It's a good <laughs> show. I'm not on it, and I'm pimping it. So you've got what all the these people. You've got all these people that have actually listened to it, going, "Ah, oh, Jesus, we thought this was a Scott Free episode. Damn it! <laughs> He's not gone yet." Scott Free episode. <laughs> no, I am not talking about Mr. Mirror. <laughs> I refuse to uh, to talk about Mr. So, oh man, what do we got? We got we got we had a cliffhanger last week. <gasps> we did. Yeah, where Baron Blitzkrieg laid it down that you know he's got a secret agent in the uh, amongst the All Stars, and that secret agent is the man called Steel. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just jump right into the next issue. This is All-Star Squadron number 9, cover date, May 1982, even though we haven't gotten to the point where DC is putting the year on the covers. And we have another Joe Kubert cover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> feel- oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you feeling okay there? I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> All righty, the story of this... The story of this title. The title of this story is Should Old Acquaintance Be Destroyed? Destroy. Oh, the Red Basher should show up in this story. (laughs) That would be awesome. He could punch steel to the moon. That would be great. (laughs) It's written by Roy Thomas. Uh, Artists are Adrian Gonzalez and Jerry Ordway. Heavy 
I would say, on the Jerry Ord way. John Costanza lettering, Carl Gafford was the colorist, Lynn Ween was the editor, and the Steel sequence, uh, as we talked about last week, is by Jerry Conway and Don Heck. All-Star Squadron Roll Call is Shining Knight, Firebrand, Robot Man, The Atom, Commander Steel, Hawk Girl, Liberty Bell, and Johnny Quick. In the White House, glasses are raised in a toast to the newly promoted Commander Steele, who is speechless at the battlefield promotion given to him by FDR. This is followed by a toast initiated by Winston Churchill that I'm actually going to read. It says, here's to 1942. Here's to a year of toil, a year of struggle and peril, and a long step forward toward victory. May we all come through safe and with honor. And they even spelled honor with a U because it's somebody British. I guess that makes sense. Anyway, the group (laughs) breaks off into smaller discussions, and we find out that the Atom is leaving in a few days to return to his tank corps training, and that Hawkgirl is going to receive a call from Carter Hall at the stroke of midnight, thanks to some string pulling on the part of FDR. FDR tells the Atom that he would be happier happier, if the Mighty Might stayed stateside, but the Atom insists that he has to go, but asks to hear the rest of Steel's story before he does, because how are we going to introduce this flashback? FDR asks Steele if he would, uh, if he, if doing so would be unpleasant, but the servo-assisted hero, trademarked, no, servo-assisted, uh, believes, yeah, that's a really dumb name, I apologize, folks, um, believes it is a story that everyone should hear. Steele's story begins just after he and his group landed not far from the main road, and they were to join up with a Polish underground a few kilometers away, but are delayed by a German convoy heading to Königsberg. Just as the group gets ready to leave, they are surrounded by German troops headed by the Butcher, who orders his men to seize the invaders. That was a joke. It was a very bad one. <laughs> but if you know Marvel history, you know what I'm talking about. Ah, uh, Okay. Steel tells him to go to hell, and a fight breaks out with Steel being the only survivor. Hank Haywood, Jablomi, couldn't resist. <laughs> uh, Hank, <laughs> Hank Haywood wakes up in a concentration camp, and after getting the lowdown on the place, Hank goes batshit crazy and starts tearing the place apart in a really awesome scene. He just fucking loses his shit. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and he does a pretty good job of beating some Nazi ass until a guard hitting him with a jeep brings him down. Later, Hank awakens to find the butcher standing over him, and there's a lot of talk about Hank's unique skeletal structure and his artificial lung before Hank snaps his restraints and makes a break for it. He grabs a bottle of acid before diving out of a window. Unfortunately, he doesn't get too far before a bullet grazes his skull and knocks him to the ground. One of the young Jews he had spoken to previously grabs the acid and throws it into the butcher's face. The young Jew gets shot for his efforts, and the last thing Haywood remembers is seeing Adolf Hitler himself. The story ends with Hank admitting that he has no idea how he ended up in Ottawa, though FDR swears that they will cure his amnesia. The All-Stars, FDR, and Churchill all fall silent a minute before midnight to be alone with their thoughts. Nearby, Baron Blitzkrieg is all aglow with delight that the listening device which enables him to eavesdrop on what the All-Stars are saying is working out so well. 
He tells Zwerg of the moments after Haywood's memory ends, when Hank tried to kill Hitler, but was stopped by the butt of a gun. He follows this with the fate of the Butcher, whose eyesight was saved, though his face was beyond repair. Uh, quick note, not eventually, but there you go. With Hitler's <laughs> blessing, the Nazi scientists used him as a guinea pig, and after a series of painful injections, he found that he had total control over his mind's vast energies. And thus, Baron Blitzkrieg is born. While all of that was going on, Hank was well cared for and not tortured. After Baron made the scene all Sith Lord-like, Hank was brainwashed <laughs> into forgetting what happened after the incident with the acid and charged to kill FDR when the code words, Now begins the Age of Chaos, are uttered. The Baron then catches us up on the last few issues before musing on how awesome it's going to be when Hank Haywood kills the Allies' leaders. <laughs> Back at the White House, Hawkgirl gets to talk to her fiancé before someone cuts in on the line asking for Steel. The code phrase is uttered, and Steel goes all weird for a second, leading Liberty Bell to order Johnny to get the President and the Prime Minister out of the room. Steel goes apeshit and starts knocking people over before giving chase after Johnny and his charges. Johnny tries to fight, but Steel proves too powerful, but before the indestructible man can get to his targets, a firebrand surrounds him with a ring of fire. Steel knocks out Firebrand instead of knocking her up, as I originally wrote for some reason. <laughs> Steel they don't knocks... have time for that! <laughs> Steel knocks out Firebrand, and Robot Man steps up to the plate, and the two start duking it out in an awesome splash page. Mm -hmm. The Baron is afraid that Steel won't be up to defeating all of the All-Stars, so he uses his own Force energies to somehow juice up Steel. Firebrand recovers from the punch Steel gave her and throws a ball of fire at his face, which doesn't burn him, but sends Blitzkrieg into a post-traumatic stress syndrome episode. That does the ticket, and Steel is freed of the Baron's control. Everyone is pretty happy about this, and they celebrate the new year with Justin kissing Firebrand and Robot Man saying that he would like to check out Steel. It's not gay at all. You totally um, <laughs> stole my joke because I had matchups for everybody that we don't see kissing, including Churchill and Roosevelt. So, <laughs> meanwhile, the meanwhile, twisted the, minds think alike. I guess yes, they do. Meanwhile, the Baron is psychosomatically blinded and begs Zwerg to help him before swearing revenge on the All Star Squadron. So. Going into my All-Star Companion Volume 2, because, well, Scott and I have run out of shit I've already done for this show, so <laughs> now we got to fake it and actually do some work with these issues. Oh, damn it. Yeah, doesn't that suck? Um, on the splash page where Roosevelt and Churchill toast the newly promoted Commander Steele, the Prime Minister refers to the then-King of England as George V, instead of the correct George the Sixth. R.T., Roy Thomas, would write in a later letters page that he had noted the era, based on his own typo, when proofing the issue, but somehow the change hadn't gotten made at the D.C. offices. He added the extra I in his own copy of the issue before it became part of a bound volume. <laughs> Uh, pages 5 to 14 of this issue are also taken from the unpublished Steel number 6 by Conway and Heck and show Steel stripped to his shorts in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, 
Roy Thomas got the notion of promoting Steel to commander rank from the name of a World War II Canadian superhero whose adventures he'd read in the late 60s reprint. He figured there were already enough captains running around. The original Commander Steel was drawn by Ed Furness, who also illustrated wartime Captain Marvel tales for Canada's Grand Slam comics. Hmm. And that is all I have for notes pretty much this time out. Oh, okay. Not, not, a, not a whole lot of historical stuff, I mean, outside of the, the, the speech... Uh, that they already referenced. Um, you go I ahead look- with your you go ahead with your notes if you got anything. Oh, okay. I, I looked on that page that I referenced last time for Churchill speeches, and that speech is not one of them, unfortunately. I listened to a little bit of one of them, and you know, I don't know what exactly I expected Winston Churchill to sound like, but he doesn't sound like what I thought he would sound like. I thought by the size of him, he'd have like a a really deep, burly—I uh, don't—I don't know, like 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 manly man voice. You know what I mean? And it's not like he has like a little girl's voice or anything, but it just wasn't anything like I really. You know, I kind of figured. I always thought that Winston Churchill looked a lot like Alfred Hitchcock, and I kind of imagined <laughs> that he would have kind of like an Alfred Hitchcock voice, but he he really doesn't. He has a has a very—I don't even know how to describe it. It's just not at all what I thought it would be like. But I mean, you just want me to hit my. My major notes, or uh, hit 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 anything you want to hit. Oh, okay. I, I've done enough talking for right now. Well, so. the very first thing I walked away from this issue feeling, especially after that awesome, awesome opening splash page. By the way, hate the cover on this one, but I'm not going to beat a dead horse about the yeah. covers. I'm just going to say I really don't like this cover. But that awesome splash page showing them toasting to now Commander Steel. Man, I wish I had been able to pick up that steel figure when I saw it. You know, there's that new line. What are they yeah. called? DC Universe, I think. Yes. I saw the steel one in stores not long ago. Is it the <sighs> new steel? Is it the citizen steel? Or is it this one? I, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. I just, I mean, to me, they all look the same anyway. You know, between this one, the one that's in the JLA, and then the one that's, you know, the current one. Yeah. So I don't know that it would have really made any difference. But, you know, now that's just you, pretended. Yeah, well, you know, now that you say that, though, you make me wonder which one it actually is. Because I thought it said Commander Steel, but I could be completely wrong on that. I mean, I just, I saw it. I drooled over it for a minute, and then I just was like, well, I can't afford $15 for, you know, a stupid hunk of plastic. So I just put it back, you know, but... I would be curious now to know exactly which one it was that I that I did find, because I'd swear it said Commander, but I, I could be dead wrong about that. You know that that puts me in mind too. I was listening to last episode. Excellent job uh, once again on that, by the way. Thank you, sir. But I, I realized as I was listening, right at the beginning of the episode. You know what? Maybe it wasn't last episode either. It may have been the pre-show that we did over on Back to the Bins, you know, where we talked about the Steel series proper. Anyway, but somewhere between the two of those, um, I was listening, and I said something about wanting to talk about the steel that was part of JLA, and then we never did. I just forgot, you know? <laughs> well, I, I'm not all that familiar with him, so... I, I'm not either, but you know, one thing I thought was really weird is that he, later on, and I hope this isn't... I know that we usually try not to spoil ahead, but I, I just thought this was interesting... That that guy, you know, he he's in the JLA. JLA is on Earth One, 
but he's the grandson of this guy who's on Earth 2. And I'm wondering, this is all pre-crisis. So how, you know, after the crisis, it won't matter. It doesn't make any difference. But pre-crisis, was there ever any sort of explanation given for how that dynamic worked? Because I don't no, think there it was. was. Just, it, it was it's it's kind of like Airwave. Mm-hmm. You know, where Airwave was on Earth 2, but then mysteriously went over to Earth 1 and became related to the Jordan family. That's right. So don't really know how that works. Yeah. At all. But, uh... I thought it was interesting, though. But, uh, yeah, I'm not not horribly familiar. Because I've read a smattering of that, what do they call that, the the Detroit-era league... I've read, you know, portions of it, but I have never sat and read it, like, you know, beginning to end, so I won't pretend to be horribly knowledgeable about that particular character. Anyway, getting to my notes proper, um, page three, last panel, does Churchill have a lazy eye right there? Or is Uh, it just inked funny? uh, It does, but then again, so do I, so... (laughs) <laughs> I, don't, I don't begrudge the man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be rude about that. It no, just no, 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 no. It's, it's actually one of the reasons why I have to wear glasses is because, uh. Uh, as my optometrist explained to me, I'm farsighted in one eye and nearsighted in the other, right? But, but, I mean, you don't have that, like, weird thing where, like, one eye is, like, looking straight at a person and the other one's, like, looking, like, completely off in some weird other direction either, though, do you? If I'm not concentrating, yes, because... Oh, really? Okay. Because one eye is farsighted and one eye is nearsighted, if I don't wear my glasses, uh, one eye is constantly trying to make up for the fact that it can't see in the same dimensions as the other eye. And as my optometrist said, he goes, and it just goes... <laughs> and Ew! That's, and that's what a lazy eye is. It's basically oh, okay. y- your mind is trying to control the muscles of your eyes to keep them focused, but because they don't see, uh, they don't have the same vision. Basically, one eye just gets tired and it goes to the side. I used to do what's gotcha. called penciled pencil push-ups, where I would take a pencil and basically hold it. Uh, bring it close to my nose until I saw two of them and then would start over and that would strengthen my eye. Right. But, you know, as I get older, your vision starts to suck worse in general anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And there's your lesson for the episode. (laughs) Well, this is the issue or rather the, the part of the story where the steel story, the, the flashback that we're given here, um, starts to diverge from the original source material. And again, the yeah. original source material is the unpublished sixth issue of Steel that appeared in uh, Cancelled Comics Cavalcade number two. I'm just going to kind of hit some of the high notes of the differences. Um, on page seven of, uh, of All-Star Squadron, you know, this issue of All-Star Squadron, the second and third panels are shortened somewhat. You're, you're Basically, it's uh, the bottom of the panels are somewhat cut off because we actually see in panel two that that dog that's in the lower right-hand part of the panel is actually tearing that guy up really bad. But by the panel being shortened up, we don't even really see the guy. We see, like, the top of his hat. 
And then something similar is also happening in panel three. I thought that was kind of interesting. It's almost like the violence was was being censored or something like that. Um, Panels four and five on that same page are actually the first two panels of the next page in the original issue. And then as you turn the page in this issue from page seven to page eight, there were actually two entire extra pages in the original story. And I kind of wanted to just touch on those, not not to get into them heavily, but just as far as what actually was there. There was more of Steel really ripping into the Nazi soldiers and and really putting up more of a fight than he does here. They actually pig pile on him at one point, and that's why he says, get off, blast you, and he throws everybody away. That The, the meaning of that changes somewhat. In the in this issue, you never really see them pile on to him. You just see him saying, you know, get off, blast you. But it doesn't really give you the impression that, that they piled on to him. And then they knock him out. Well, after they knock him out here in All-Star, the next scene is him being, uh, you know, somebody throwing water on him to wake him up. But in the original issue, there was a couple issues of The Butcher you know, berating his men about, you know, I wanted all these men alive, you know, and, and basically all he gets is steel because the other two guys were killed by the dogs. And uh, one of the soldiers even comments that skin steel isn't broken. And they, they that's when they figure out basically that there's something special about this guy. And the butcher orders, you know, his men to pick him up and haul him back. And they comment on the fact that he weighs half a ton and all this. It's just interesting. It just added a little bit more to the steel element. Yeah, and then they were, and that fit very much into the series itself. Right. Mm-hmm. So very that makes much a lot so. Of sense. And then there were two pages, which I completely understand why they left them out of this because it doesn't affect this particular story. But had this, you know, appeared, you know, and been published as Steel Number Six there were a couple pages that were actually pretty interesting of who the hell is this guy? Is that that? Oh, I can't remember what his name is. The Congress or call hammer is going off about, you know, the fact that steel is over, you know, in a, in Europe participating in this war, representing himself as some sort of representative of America. And this guy's all pissed about it because, you know, this, of course, is well before America actually did get active in World War II. And so this guy's kind of incensed that, you know, Steele is is over there possibly instigating a situation that we're not ready to be in yet or something like that. It was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. And he, he says that he's going to see Steele branded for a traitor and I'll see him hang kind of thing. So it was adding a little more drama to the series, but... Ultimately, didn't doesn't really reflect on this. I just thought it was kind of kind of interesting to note. But the the part I really like is okay in this issue of All Star, page eight, the third panel takes up more than half of the page. But originally, that was a full page splash, and I kind of wish they had gone with this full page splash as it would have looked in Steel Number Six because as as gruesome. And horrible as this this picture of the concentration camp is, it was even more horrible in Steel Number Six because you had a lot more of these just gruesome looking like skeletal Jewish people all milling around, 
and some of them at the bottom of the page that don't appear in this issue of All Star. They're just haunting looking. You know, they're they're emaciated. Their eyes are sunken. They just, you know, you can see that they've lost all hope. They're they're like walking ghosts or something. It's it's really and, cold, and suddenly really Rick stepped forward, steps forward and starts yelling how they're the Walking Dead, <laughs> how they're the Walking Dead. <laughs> It's very much like that, though. It really is. Yeah. And uh, then on the next page, page nine, there's a couple of panels that are that are omitted from the original thing where we've got in the uh, second panel that woman, because she her face is so drawn and everything, she looks like an old woman and she's telling their story. It skips over two panels from the original thing, which actually shows a, a line of nude women, you know, nude Jewish women being marched to the uh, the gas chambers. And then another panel that's just more of her exposition. I, I think I can understand why they took that out, you know, because for one, it's really, it's it's a horrible image. It's also all these nude women, but still it's it's kind of weird, you know, that, that they, they kind of censored themselves. So I wonder... If that issue had gone forward, if that would have even made it into Steel Number Six proper, or if they would have, uh, you know, heavily inked it in shadows, or or somehow censored, they probably it. would. Have, they probably would have done some heavy, heavy shadow work yeah, with it. I don't. I don't see how they would have let something like that go. Yeah. Because uh, how explicit is it? It's. I mean, you know, you're not seeing genitalia or nipples or anything, but I mean, they're clearly a line of nude women. I mean, it's it's perfectly obvious what it is. But you know, this is this is from pencils. Um, at least I don't I don't think this is inked. I think this is the pencil roughs. So it could have wound up looking very very different in the finished stage. You know, actually being published. But just looking at this and realizing that this is from, you know, late 70s, it's pretty shocking, you know, that uh, and I really like I say, I really wonder if they would have gotten away with publishing it looking like it looks in this issue of Canceled Comics because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's uh, more risque and daring than anything I recall having seen in comics from that period that wasn't like an underground or something. Yeah. So very interesting, but you know, I, seeing as how they didn't put it in this issue that was published, you know, years later in nine, you know, in the early '80s, then kind of makes me wonder that it it wouldn't have looked the same had it been published in Steel Number Six. But anyway, worth worth noting, I thought. And then uh, everything else is pretty much there, exactly like it is. Uh, in the original source material, you know, just just newly inked and everything by um, by Ordway looks great. But then there is a diversion in the story. When you flip from page 12 to page 13, suddenly it, it goes completely differently because the last panel that matches up perfectly is on, on page 12, that last panel that shows Steele breaking loose of his restraints that's part of the original source material but then when you you go to page 13 and 14 where the uh the flashback ends all of that is completely different it's it's all new original art a lot of the captioning is the same but the stances are different 
um, the things that he does is different. He does grab a bottle of acid, but in the original uh, book, he throws the acid himself, and he's throwing it at one of the soldiers, and the butcher dives in the way. For uh. he, He's diving to tell the soldier, no, don't shoot him, because he wants Steel alive. Yeah. And as he dives to prevent the soldier from shooting, the the bottle of acid smashes him right in the face. And there's a great picture. Looks like something out of Raiders of the Lost Ark, really, where, where the butcher is holding his hands up to his face, and he's screaming as his face literally melts off. It's really good. And I would have loved to see how this would look inked by, uh, Jerry Ordway. by Ordway. Yeah, it, I'm, I, I think it would have been great. And as much as I really like how this issue plays out, this flashback plays out in um, this issue of All-Star, I have to admit, I don't like the change that they made with it being the uh, the Jewish prisoner that throws the acid that, that scars um, the butcher and, and basically you know sets him on the path to being Baron Blitzkrieg. I think I understand why they did it. I think it's supposed to be like like dramatic irony or something. Yeah. That it, that it was this lowly Jewish concentration camp prisoner that brings this guy low. But I think it's more important. I think it's it works better if it's Steel himself creates um his own Joker, you know, you know what I mean? His own nemesis or whatever. Maybe they don't ever become like arch enemies or what, but I, I kind of like that idea better. Plus, I don't like the fact that the, the Jew does it and then he's immediately gunned down for it. I would have well, liked that. That's not going to play out any other way, Scott. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. They're not going to drag him off and interrogate him. They're just going to put a bullet in his ass. Yeah, but. Not then that it, I'm supporting such a thing, but I'm no, no, I don't. I you know, I know, I understand what you're saying, and and you're right. It, it wouldn't play out any differently, but I don't. There's something about it that I it just makes me uncomfortable. I just don't like it as much as the idea that that it was Steel that did it, because then this story I think plays out better. This issue. Where Steel is, or excuse me, where Baron Blitzkrieg is then using Steel as his weapon against Churchill and Roosevelt. I like that 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 Steel's taking the man that that created him, that made him this disfigured uh, character, and and he's getting his revenge on him by using him, you know, as a tool to take down the Allies or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I think that whole thing just plays out better. But I don't well, know. Well, here's it's just the me. thing. I, I totally see your point. I really do. This isn't one of those situations where somebody, you know, proposes an alternate theory of the story, and I'm like, eh, I don't see that. I mean, that does work, and I like the Joker uh, comparison. Uh huh. To me, this scene is extremely powerful because here's the man that was basically telling him, "Don't fight back." You know, we're all dead here he's the one that sees the acid and takes a shot. And I kind of like that. I think it's very dramatic. That's and a I, good... And I do like the concept that the butcher was brought down not by an American superhero, but basically by one of the people he was seeking to destroy. 
Right. And that kind of adds a little more, that adds a gravitas to the, I love that word, um, to the scene as well. But if it had played out like you wanted it to, I would have been just as happy. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's literally a six of one, half a dozen of another thing for me. And I, I, and I just made Scott quiet. Why? No, I, I was Scott, thinking. Why? No, I was processing that because no, I, I see your point. And I, I had to be honest with you. I kind of forgot about what you said. Um, that he did basically tell Steele that you know it, it's hopeless and there's no sense to fight. And and yeah, you're right. I I kind of forgot about that. So by seeing Steele spring into action and take on the Nazis. By the way, page 10, love it, love it, love it. Hell yeah! It reminds me so very much of the awesome World War II sequences in the Hugo Danner story. You know, no matter what version you're talking about, it really reminds me. I'm totally a sucker for seeing you know the the superhuman battling Nazis. I love that shit. I it, totally it never gets old. Shit. It, it no. literally, literally never gets old. It really doesn't. I mean, because uh. you know when you think, and we haven't really discussed this much, and I don't think this is the forum to discuss the Holocaust really. Um, but you know when you think of the atrocities that were committed, and uh, and they were committed. I've run into several people in my life that have told me that it was a lie, and I every time I hear that, I never want to speak to them again. Um, or worse, the guy that said, "Well, it happened, but it wasn't as bad as everyone says," which is pretty much to me worse than saying it never happened at all. Uh, <laughs> that's just my opinion, though. Um, to think of all the things that they did, and to think, you know, not every Nazi was evil. Because some people were just soldiers fighting for their country because it was all they knew. So, you know, I I, I can't be one of these people that that wants to demonize every single one of them. But but they, as a a nationality of, 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 how am I trying to say this? As an idea, the Nazis were evil. I guess that's the best way to say that. Right. You know, so anytime I see them getting taken down, I really I still need to see Inglorious Bastards because it's nothing but people killing Nazis. So I caught a few minutes of that while my wife was watching it because she rented it, and it does look really really interesting. Because I, I like movies where there's like you know the, the where the movie is structured very much like the game of Mousetrap. <laughs> where there's all these elaborate things that 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 happen in a what do they call that like a Rube Goldberg yeah that's exactly type of thing what I was about to say and that's what that movie looked like to me and I mean that that's by watching like maybe ten minutes of a certain scene so I could be completely wrong in that theory but that's just the the scene I happened to watch made me think that that's what that movie was like and. There was a movie like that years ago. It was a, a Dudley Moore movie of all things where he was I think he was trying to kill his wife or something cuz he thought she was cheating on him and half the movie is a fantasy in his mind of exactly how he I was going I to pull this off. About. You know what I'm talking about? Vaguely, and, that sounds familiar. And then like, you know, you really get into this thing and then about the halfway point in the movie, it suddenly comes back to 
where he had his, you know, where his fantasy started, he's still sitting playing the piano, like at this concert recital or something. And then the movie goes forward with him actually trying to enact the plan that we already saw the first half of the movie setting up and how none of the shit happens the way he fantasized that it would happen. And it's really a good thing. I can't remember what the hell the name of it is, but I love movies like that where it's, you know, this great big series of, you know, this has to happen in order for this to happen or the whole damn thing falls apart. I love that kind of thing. And that's kind of what that, that, uh, Inglorious Bastards looked like it was going to be. So I, I want to watch that at some point. But wow, that was a weird, uh, a weird tangent. Um, I'm sorry. I'll try to wrap up the rest of my notes real quick. Even though all that does divert um, quite a bit from the original source stuff, it, it does all pull back together in the last panel where uh, Uncle Adolf shows up. Although, again, the art is completely different in that scene, um, but still the same the same cliffhanger ultimately. Um, Robot Man versus Steel. Hell yeah! Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love it. The only way that that could be better is if the true Man of Steel himself wound up, you know, showed up to put yeah. these two in timeout. I would love that. <laughs> that would have been totally. That would have been the icing on the cake right there. Um, I love the panel on page uh, twenty-five, last panel where uh, Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell are together. We see, we actually see Sir Justin putting the lips to Firebrand. I love that. But, you know, what you didn't see between the gutters, between the pages, was uh, Adam and Hawk Girl. They get it on. Steel and Robot Man, you know, they, they kind of come together. And we got Churchill and Roosevelt, you know. It's like, what the hell, you know. We got the two leaders of the, of the free world. They get together. Maybe even a little bit of love between Zurg and uh, Baron Blitzkrieg. You never know. Hey, why not? I mean, <laughs> the, the, you know, war does strange things to people. So <laughs> he did call him his dear dwarf, after all. Yes, he did. Well, I always got. I always got the feeling there was something funny going on. Uh, it it almost seems that way. Yeah, I the mean, way I mean, this... I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not, and I'm not trying to 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 make fun of, of homosexuals and anything. It's just. You know, unfortunately, we live in a time period where two men having a really close relationship, uh, people always go for the gay joke. Mm -hmm. But that's not it here. That's not my thinking. And my thinking here is you have two men who are obviously very close together. Baron Blitzkrieg obviously depends on Zwerg very much. So maybe it was a love that could not speak its name because of who they were. I mean, let's face it, in Nazi Germany, if you were homosexual, they put a pink triangle on you and sent you to a concentration camp. Right. So. Right. It, it, it's and, and there were, like, rumors of Adolf Hitler being gay and uh, all that stuff. And it's just like, you know, really, you know, I always fall back into, I don't, I don't give a shit, really. If they were or not, I mean, it doesn't really affect my personality. It's, it's like we've talked about before about Abe Lincoln, and the 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 ways people have tried to kind of throw the homosexual light on his life with that. I forget the guy's name that he spent a lot of time with. Um, but still, I mean, it's just it's just a little. 
This is more than a underling supporting his commander in a time of crisis. This is a husband trying to have his wife tell him it's going to be okay. Almost, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much the vibe I got, too. Glad I was able to bring it back to that, because I'm kind of tired and I tend to ramble (laughs) incoherently when I'm tired. Uh, You got anything else? I do. My last note for this one, I just thought it worth pointing out that, you know, it's not every comic book that ends with me actually feeling really badly for the Nazi supervillain at the end of it. But I did feel badly for Baron Blitzkrieg in this. I I shouldn't, because he's a very, very, very bad person. But, you know, he's 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 crushed at the end of this he's he's weeping like a like a baby you know yeah. he's he's very traumatized by what happened to him with uh, with the acid in the face and all that and uh i like this ending i, I like it that uh that you can actually feel kind of sorry for such a such a dirt bag you know I, it's uh it, it just goes to the strength of roy thomas's writing Absolutely. That, that Absolutely. he's able. I mean, I, I, I still don't want this guy to win, but at the same time, you, you sit there for a second and go, damn. Yeah. You know, Jesus, what the hell? Yeah. Poor, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's the first, you know, I think that's human nature, you know, if you're, if you're you know, an, 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 an empathetic person to, to look at somebody in pain like that and go, oh, gee, you know, the poor guy. And then you're, you're, brain kicks back in and you go wait a minute this guy's a fucking Nazi (laughs) that's what I was about to say Uh, um, my notes I have have one big note about the art and and that is you can really tell that Jerry Ordway inked this issue in fact it almost looks like he overwhelmed the pencils entirely in certain cases that first splash page that you talked out with Commander Steele that looks like Ordway uh, dead on. And a lot of the close-ups uh, with, like, Hawk Girl's cowl and, and just the detail. And and, and, uh, and you know what? Jesus, if, if, if Jerry Ordway had been inking Don Heck through all of the 70s, I think people would like Don Heck a lot more. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'll buy that. Because he does such a great job. Uh, let me go into the flashback real quick. I love how the flashback plays out. I love the fact that the butcher ends up becoming Baron Blitzkrieg, and I love the raw emotional nature of it. If this issue had come out as issue six of Steel, the Indestructible Man, I think this would have been a game-changing issue for yes. superhero comics, mm-hmm. simply because of how overtly he deals with the Holocaust. And it would have been probably one of those issues that would have caused a lot of controversy and probably would have brought, and this is something I think you were going to mention last time, I, and, and if you mentioned it in this episode, uh, I, forgive me uh, for, for repeating it, but I think the ser- this issue would have saved the series. Just of in steel? How good, yeah, of steel? steel. You, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just in how good it was. Um, so not knowing the changes... This is how it's going to play out in my head forever. And it does kind of look like Hugo Danner in a few pages. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The uh, the origin of Baron Blitzkrieg, though, is so... This is such a... He is the Nazi Captain America. Mm-hmm. Complete with injections and stuff. And, and, and yeah, there's a little bullshit science 
behind how his powers really work, you know. Oh, he, he they gave him some injections and that allowed him to tap into, you know, you know, use ninety percent or a hundred percent of his brain. He's kinda like uh even though he was created beforehand, obviously, he's kinda like a Nazi deathstroke, the Terminator. Because that's that's Slade's shtick, is that he's able to use more of his brain than other people. The um there's a couple pages though that that particularly stand out for me uh, in in the actual issue issue page 18 that shot of Baron Blitzkrieg's face is just great I don't know why it is the rest of the page is kind of weak but that one shot of Baron Blitzkrieg just makes me realize how much I love this dude's costume mm-hmm. the um I. <laughs> I like how you subtly get the you know the closeness between Sir Justin and Firebrand in the beginning because they're standing next to each other uh, on the, on that on page two and then at the end of the issue they're kissing, which for some reason I remembered it differently, like I remembered the artwork different. I don't know why, but there they are making out. I guess I guess he wanted more than her handkerchief. Um, <laughs> Maybe he wants to see if the curtains match the drapes. Who knows? Uh, He'll have her panties hanging from his saddle. (laughs) But they're like 1940s panties, so they'll, like, be huge. (laughs) Granny panties. (laughs) Um, Page 19, did Hawkman just give Hawkgirl the green light to make out with other men? Listen, Hmm. honey... Listen, honey, the coded message I got about this call said we'd have to keep it short, but just in case we get cut off, I love you, and don't stand under the mistletoe with too many people besides me. And notice he doesn't say men, he says people. So not only is he telling her she can make out with other people, um, make it out with other men, but that she can play for the home team a little bit, too. Which oh, is that's probably awesome. He... <laughs> I'm going to go write that right now. <laughs> keep it to yourself. Page 20, uh, when... Uh, Steel gets the coded message. It also looks like Hawkgirl. I really want to change the dialogue saying, so are we going to fuck now or what? Well, look at look at his fin. It yeah. looks like his fin gets happy, too. Yeah, it's like that, it that's goes, what I'm Poing. saying. <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to do this or what? <laughs> but, yeah, the highlight of this issue definitely is page 23 of Robot Man and, and Steel going at it um, ju- it's a great splash page in that you know if, if they would have had like a great intricate background of the White House behind them to the two of them just punching each other but the fact that the the background is white and you have these four static images of various parts of the battle just is great mm-hmm. just great and yeah at the end I'm a little uncomfortable with Robot Man having his arm around steel you seem fully recovered, Haywood, but I'd rather check out that metal infrastructure of yours tomorrow. <laughs> After all, I've had some limited experience in that area. It's just like, is this code? <laughs> Am I yeah, not getting it, something here? <laughs> it does seem a little weird. And I don't remember this ever bothering me when I read this series originally, but Robot Man having a completely um, static expression which is just the the creepy grin bothers me i i wish that you know 
It is wish, creepy, isn't it? Yeah, it is really creepy because every every single panel, whether he's pissed or happy or you know in deep thought or concentrating or or anything, it's all the same expression of this kind of like kind of grin on his face, and it's like that would creep you out if you were standing talking to this guy and he's telling you like. You know, it really sucks to be robot, man. You know, I sure wish I had a human body and could get laid once in a while. Yet he's talking to you with this, like, Ronald McDonald grin on his face. I think that would freak me right the hell out. Uh, that, that's my basic reaction. <laughs> uh, so we do have some ads this issue. Um, not overly great, awesome ads, but we've got an ad for the Swamp Thing movie. Yes. Have you ever seen that? I meant to ask you that before. Yes, I have seen it. I, 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 bought a, uh, I bought a bootleg DVD of it that has the nude scene in it. Oh, sweet. Because um, they didn't put it in... Because it used to be on HBO. That would be on... A, that would the, was the version HBO would show. Now, you're talking were, about the one where she was taking a bath, right? Yes. And it shows her boobs? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing that when I was a really little kid on HBO. That's not that in the this, commercial release? Not that I'm aware of. Jesus. Uh, we have a Dazzling Doings from Dynamite DC, uh, Dynamic DC. We've got the three-issue book, uh, the three-issue Wonder Woman story. I forget what that was called. Uh, I almost picked that up at the Atlanta Comic Convention last weekend, but it was in the $5 box. Ouch. Yeah. It had all three issues, and they were in like almost mint condition, which I've never seen before, because for some reason, these issues always have a really bad rolled spine. Oh, all three were for $5 or $5 no, a $5 piece? $5 each. Ouch. Yeah, that's too expensive, dude. It's too expensive, but you know what? I haven't been. But he had so much of that era of Wonder Woman in that box in good condition, and you don't see that all that much. So if I would have had the cash, I probably would have sprung for it. And a, and a couple other things that I saw there. And for, fortunately, I saved my money and got that freaking awesome find. So I'm uh, really happy about that. We got a, It's got Captain and the, the Amazing Zoo crew. It's got an issue of Superman uh, with a Gil Kane cover of uh, Candor Lives Again. It's got a 15... It's got a Legion of Superheroes um, Best of Blue, DC Blue Ribbon Digest and apparently has a brand new 15-page Legion saga. Hmm. Plus 16 pages of new costumes by George Perez. Oh, I need to see if I... I don't know if I own that or not. I don't think I own that. I'll have to try to track that down. Um, are you sure that's Gil Kane on the Superman cover? Because it looks it was, like Ross Andrew. No, that's Andrew. Ross Andrew. I'm okay. sorry. No, that's I cool. I got that confused. And there's... a. Uh, uh, journey, I almost said journey into mystery, a house of mystery with I vampire <laughs> which seriously needs to come back now that vampires are all popular I love uh, that the, part the, though, the, though I heard uh-huh. you know I'm sorry, go ahead, I was interrupting uh, you no, no, not at all, I was just uh, I, I love the art on that cover, I think that's uh, I think that's Mike Kaluta, but I really like that cover on that Heard, I heard a rumor today that MTV may be doing a Teen Wolf series that has nothing to do with the movie Teen Wolf. It's more of a Twilight <laughs> thing. You know who wrote Teen Wolf? It was Jeff Loeb, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Same with hmm. Commando. So, opposite of page 19, we have a Saga of Swamp Thing ad and a Fury of Firestorm ad. Yeah. Oh, man, those are awesome. 
love I mean, the, the Pat Broder. I wonder if there was ever a um, a promo poster for Fury of Firestorm with this with this art. Probably would go like for a shitload of money at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'd it'd be worth that. it. And that's really it for interesting ads, except the free Lone Ranger Western town that I think you and I have discussed before. <laughs> yep, ad nauseum. Yep, <laughs> sure have. So, <laughs> love that movie though. I saw bootlegs of it at the Atlanta Comic Convention last weekend. Thought of you. <laughs> it's out as a commercial release. I wonder what it the is? bootleg really? had. Yeah, it is. Yeah. This must have been before. This must have been stock before it got a commercial release. <laughs> they just don't realize it's been commercially released. Well, there's so a lot of stuff in there that's got a commercial release. In fact, uh, Garrett, hi Garrett, please don't drive off the road. And I were talking, <laughs> and uh, he was looking at the six million dollar man DVDs, saying, you know, God, you know, at some point they're going to release these, and wouldn't you know it, Time Life in November is going to release all five seasons plus the three pilot movies plus the three reunion movies in one huge box set. Wow. They'll I think be... that would make you excited. Well, you know, I, I've had them, though, for, for quite a long time, you know, just in the, in the bootleg form. I have... I know I have all of the six million dollar man. I'm not sure about like the Bionic Woman. I can't remember if I if I bothered to burn that one or not because I didn't know that I'd actually sit and watch it. But I know I have all the six million dollar man. I have all the movies and everything. I started watching it, and it was just one of those things where it was very bittersweet because I found that for the most part, it it, it was living a much better life in my memory than watching it again. But I, I kept trying to go back and, and revisit it and, and trying to put my mind back to like a 1970s TV sensibility, you know, and, and not judge it by modern standards. Because if you judge it by modern standards, it's not like it's bad or anything, but it's really slow compared to like how modern yeah. TV shows are done. And the the slow motion thing got on my nerves after a while, like <laughs> like really got on my nerves because... I realized that they were hampered by by budgetary concerns. They were hampered by special effects limitations of the time. But still, you know, I, I think I would have rather it had been sped up and looked like Benny Hill than every time he was supposed <laughs> to be running at super speed. Instead, he was running in super slow-mo. It just, it really does get old. But, you know, there were a lot of other things that made up for it, but... Part of what bothered me, too, is that I came to the realization at some point that I wish more of him had been bionic. Okay. Because there's one part where he and, uh, are, and Oscar are driving somewhere, and Oscar has a blowout. And Steve gets out of the car and uses his bionic arm to lift the car off the ground. And, and he's basically using his own body as a jack so that Oscar can change the tire. And it was the first time it ever occurred to me, dude, that just doesn't work. You know, it's fine that his arm is bionic, but basically his arm is bionic from from either the shoulder on down or like somewhere between his shoulder and his elbow on down, which means if he tried to pick up a car, he couldn't pick it up any more than you or I could do it unless, like, his fucking spine was all reinforced and shit, right? Because his, his fucking arm would just pull off or he would just, like, 
herniate himself or you know, or break his back or you know it just doesn't work. It's the same thing where uh, there was a lot of times he would brace his non-bionic arm, his left arm, against a door frame, and there would be like a door that was locked or like a chain-link fence with a big padlock on it. He'd brace his non-bionic arm against it and then pull on it with his bionic arm and bust the chain or like rip the door open. It doesn't work, you know? <laughs> it's it's like, you know, it's like you or I, you know, trying to... Uh, Oh, I don't know. I thought I had an analogy there, but you know what I mean? It, it just yeah. doesn't, no, you know, no, exactly. unless know exactly all of him is super powered, it just doesn't work. It, it'd be like half of Superman's body being Superman and the other half being, you know, just an average Joe. Well, you know, it, it, he couldn't take a round in the in the non super side or, you know, he couldn't, you know, throw somebody into the sun with the non super side. It, it just it, it the logic doesn't follow. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Though I do have that ability to kind of step back and remember what it was like when I was watching certain shows mm-hmm. the first time. Because I've been going through the second season of Superboy. Oh, God. And, you know, there are some episodes where I'm like, Jesus, they, this was a good show. And there's, you know, it's much better than the first season, which has a lot of clunkers in it. But the way those episodes move... Because they were ha- they were a half hour long, they moved fast. Mm-hmm. That story went along at a good clip, except if it was a two parter. And and sometimes I have to remind myself, dude, that that's how shows were back then. This right. is how television was. It's not like now where you have all these emo moments where you know I call it the the boogie nights moments because I could cut like an hour and a half out of boogie nights if I just took out the five minutes after a major event has happened where somebody's just staring at the table with disco music playing in the background. (laughs) And it's the same with Superboy where it's just like, you know, wow. It's like the fight scenes, especially, you know, after watching, we may not like the show now, but after watching Smallville for 10 years and the amped up fight scenes in those shows where people are just knocking the hell out of each other and flying across the room. It's really hard to go back to a time where they didn't, they weren't thinking in those terms and Superboy would just throw somebody and they just fall backwards. Right. It's like every once in a while though, you would see like somebody flying towards a police car and I'm like, yes, that's what you should have been doing the entire time. Right. But then I remember what it was like at 14 when there wasn't anything else like that on television and you didn't see, you know, shit, Superboy, first live-action Metallo, first live-action Mr. Mixia's Pitalik, first live-action Bizarro. Hmm. There was more comic book elements in Superboy than I think people remember. Because there were, I mean, the Yellow Perry from Carrie Bates' run on the New Adventures of Superboy showed up at one point. I mean, huh. it was. it's a show that now that I'm watching it again, I'm remembering how much I enjoyed it at 14. But then again, like I said, I'm weird. I can put, I can tell you exactly what I was thinking and feeling as a 16 year old. All the emotions swirling in my head, the, 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 the depression I would feel every once in a while, the, the longing and everything else. And I remember that all very vividly. So maybe I'm not the one to talk about this with. (laughs) I'm just weird. 
All right, so getting into Mike's amazing world of DC Comics that you can find at uh, www.dcindexes.com. We are looking at issues cover dated May 1982, and there are some keen ones here. Mm-hmm. What do you see right off the bat? Well, there's that Legion Best of DC number 24 that we were talking about. That, um, that Firestorm... That DC Comics Presents is the one you were talking about yes. a couple of weeks ago on Back <laughs> to the Bins. It sure as hell is. Now say crisscross again again to see if you got that southern twang still in your voice. Crisscross. Me... There you go. <laughs> Sailing. <laughs> I like the uh, the George Perez cover on uh, Justice League of America oh, with yeah. zombie Batman. That's zombie cool. Zombie Batman. Hell yeah. Always needed to happen. We got a cool uh, Rick Buck, uh, Rich Buckler Batman cover too of him swinging over some fire. Is that the one with fire? Is that got firebug or something like that in it? Maybe it, not. Well, there is a firebug and there is a firefly, so I really maybe it was firefly. Maybe that was what I was thinking of. Yeah. I ask you every week, how's that issue of Jonah Hex? I don't remember this one very well. I really don't. I love the cover, though. I know, I know. See, I I just, for some reason, that that era post-issue 50 is is vague to me, and I don't know why exactly. But uh, I love that cover, though. Because you were drunk the entire time you were reading it. That's probably it. Got Saga of the Swamp Thing number one. Yes. Oh, God, is that a fantastic issue. You know, despite the fact that I don't like where that story ultimately went. The beginning of that story, the first few issues where it was uh, Swamp Thing, you know, it was, it, you, know, re- you know, Swamp Thing returned, you know, after a good long while, you know, between the, the cancellation of his original series and this is his return. It was a big deal. It really was a huge sure deal. it was. It had to so, be. Yeah, you know, especially if you were at all familiar, at all a fan of the original stuff, which I was... Very lucky, very blessed to have most of the issues, you know, the the rights and uh, who is it? Len Wein, I think. Len Wein. Len Wein created the character with Bernie Wrightson, exactly. I had just about all of the issues of that that I had just been lucky enough to chance across as a kid, loved it. And was so looking forward to that character coming back. And when he did, it it was a huge deal. And I would say the first three issues of that, Super solid, great, great stuff. And then from there, it just—I don't know—it it goes into kind of a slow spiral into weirdness before uh, before Alan Moore finally came in. But uh, if you if you've got the means, got the opportunity, check out at least the first three issues. They're they're solid. I enjoyed that shit. Uh, I like that Dick Giordano Bat- Detective Comics cover too, where Batman's coming out of the snow, going looking for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that one. Batman oh. is about to kick your ass. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else we got here. I like the uh, I like the Joe Staten cover on that uh, that issue of Green Lantern. It's kind of different. Beautiful Perez cover on uh, New Teen Titans right there. Yes. It's... And this indeed, indeed Legion of Superheroes two eighty seven. If I'm not mistaken, that's the acknowledged beginning of the uh, Levitz-Giffen run, even yeah. though 
there was a, a backup feature in the in the prior issue that that sort of kind of kicked it off. This is like the official beginning right there. I believe you're right. I don't know that I've ever laid eyes on this issue of Superman Family before. It's got a freaky looking cover on it. Yeah, I just I just saw that cover um, with that lot that I bought a couple weeks ago. So ah, Supergirl, Mister and Mrs. Superman, and I really, for me, that that's why I want to collect uh, Superman Family because I really want to get all of those Mister and Mrs. Superman stories so I can have the. So I could try to get like all of the appearances of the Earth Two Superman. When he is called the Earth Two Superman, I'm not going to be able to collect the Golden Age stuff. <laughs> they had Sorry. to collect all that stuff. They had to put out like a maybe they have for all I know, but no, it seems not like, yet. No, no, they, they they've got that Phantom Zone trade, which is actually really good. I was surprised. I'm glad I got it for six bucks. And they have a you know like a time travel trade, and they have a. Bottles City of Candor, and they even have a Nightwing and Flamebird. Oh wow! Trade collecting all the Superman family stories. Huh. Uh, I still need to try to get back to it one day and finish up the last couple of those Nightwing and Flamebird stories that I was covering at one time because I was having a ball doing that. That shit is so wacky, but I still love it. I love it so much, and I, I fully intended to finish it up and then just got sidetracked and never did, but. You guys can hear that stuff if you if you go back to some older uh, some older episodes on the Two True Freaks feed. You'll you'll find that stuff. It's it's wacky fun. Love this issue of uh, Action Comics five thirty one. I don't remember the story very well, but the Superman story in there is uh, is got uh, art by Joe Staten and Frank McLaughlin, and uh, I remember really liking the art. I can't remember if the story's any good or not, but the story or the uh, artwork in it was really good. I haven't read it yet. I have it. I have Action Solid from 490 to just a couple of months ago. So wow, yeah. it took some doing, but yeah, I, yeah, I would imagine that's that's a hell of a run, dude. That's well, about it. Like for- 23 years of that was me collecting it off the racks. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I got too. So do we uh, do we want to give the little announcement? Do you want to take this, sir? Um, what's going on, or do we just want to direct them to the? Uh... Yeah, I would say that we we fairly well covered the what what's up. You know, there's a little um, announcement that's going to come up. Um, hopefully, it will be well you know, published and up on the site by the time you're hearing this episode. But uh, basically, there's there's a little bit of drama going on in my personal life that uh, has to be addressed. So I will be taking a, a little bit of hiatus from the world of podcasting and unfortunately that adversely affects um the tales of the justice society of america however um you had said mike that that now were you thinking of doing this or you're really going to do no, this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do oh, okay, this. Uh, cool. you know i'm gonna basically for a couple of weeks folks it's gonna be me alone uh i can always already hear people leaving like doors opening <laughs> and cars starting up. But basically what I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks is just talk about some of the older Earth 2-related stories that don't really fit into what we're talking about right now. Because with Scott taking uh, you know, a, a, a break from everything, uh, you know, 
I didn't want the show to stop, but I didn't want to talk about All-Star Squadron without Scott. I mean, I told him that, which I, I think surprised you. <laughs> I don't know if you were <laughs> expecting that or not, because when I, when I told you that, you're like, yeah, there was almost like this, oh, thank God tone to your voice. Right, right. Well, there was. I mean, because, you know, it, it made me feel really good, you know, that, that you weren't, you know, that, that the first thing you said wasn't, well, that's all right. I can get, you know, Joe Smith that I know to, to fill in for you. It made me feel better that you were like, well, that means that, you know, that, that this, you know, the current format goes on hold, too. I like it. It made me feel really good, and I appreciated it. But uh, so basically I'll be taking a look at, you know, like – Next week, I'll, I'll talk about The Flash of Two Worlds. Uh, tentatively, also t- would want to talk about Flash number 137, which is where the Justice Society actually reformed uh, in the 60s. Oh, okay. Uh, and just stuff like that for a couple of weeks, you know, just to keep the shows going, you know, you know, and not to, and not to put things, you know, on definite hold. It's not going to be, I'm going to be really honest with you, the show's not going to be as good with me by myself. I know this because the, the the greatness of this show, if I can be so arrogant, is uh, you know the rapport Scott and I have, and the, and the things we can do uh, with commercials and ads. And there's not going to be any ads, so uh, I'm hoping to make it entertaining, but it's it's definitely not going to be as good as when Scott comes back and we continue with the next story of All Star Squadron, which I really don't like. <laughs> That's the ironic thing is that. <laughs> when we do come back, maybe the fact that it'll be the re- resumption of the old format and everything that people will be so happy about it. I'm, I'm hoping anyway that that it'll kind of gloss over the fact that we're coming back to like a really weak, weak, lame ass story. So <laughs> that should be interesting. And I hate saying that because I like the All Star Squadron. I love it, but yeah, lot, every- but but this alien thing and 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 and, and the fact that it deals so heavily with Hawkman. You know, always turns me off because I'm not that much of a Hawkman fan. So, every series has its Spock's brain, man. There's no escaping <laughs> it. You know, if 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 something ever had more than one, you know, then then there was a bad one, and you know, there's a clunker in there somewhere. So, it can't be helped. But to my recollection, that that was the story that that, yeah, that, that stood that, out as the one that I just never could warm to. Yeah. So it's all uphill from there. There's some weirdness in the 30s and 40s, but the stories are still pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after the crisis, when Roy Thomas was seemingly scrambling for what to do, we had a lot of secret origin issues. But I was um, cool with that actually. I, yeah, I like well because they were they were well done. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you had Todd McFarlane drawing the Doctor Fate one. I always liked that Starman one that gave his origin. I always thought that was really cool. So, you know, I want to. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I just want to assure the listeners that you know I'm go- I'm going to try to make this uh, interruption or whatever you want to call it as as painless as possible and as brief as possible because. I really don't want, you know, I, I, I want to keep going with this show. I don't want things to change. I, I don't want the the format to, uh, yeah, I don't want things to, to change. I love doing this show, and I'm so looking forward to continuing where we're going. Because one of the things I've most been looking forward to, I can't remember when it happens, 
But when they eventually get like the Parasphere and all that, I love that shit. And I'm so looking forward to getting to that point. And so, you know, that that's my motivation, you know, to yeah, to come back, you know, as soon as it is is viable for me to be able to come back and and for us to pick it back up. So I'll do my very best. I promise. Well, sir, I will miss you. I'll miss you, man. I'll, I'll miss doing this. I'll, I'll miss getting together with you regularly to get this knocked out, and uh, and I'll miss the you know more than anything. I think I'm I'm going to miss the listeners. You know, I love that every single episode we do, we get mail. You know, on. we get mail, even if it's just one. I don't even care if it's one going. You know, that wasn't your best. I just like the fact that you can get feedback at every, you know, because it's weird, you know, it's, it's, I think it's the only show that I do where we get something every single time. I love it. It just, it really makes me feel good that, you know, I may have done this for a while now, but I, I've, I've never lost that. Wow. Sensation that people actually listen to me. You know, it's 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 weird, and it's. I'm, I'm it's sorry. Some... What were you saying? Ah, oh, asshole! <laughs> you knew it was coming. Come I on, did. and yeah, you I... done the same goddamn thing to me. You know you would have. <laughs> well, uh, just to kind of end this one, as usual, All Star Squadron number nine has not been reprinted anywhere. Except you know, in the hearts and minds of fandom. Somebody asked, I can't remember if this was one of our official emails or this was just something I saw on Facebook or whatever, but somebody asked, who is the person to bitch to about this? Do you know that answer? Uh, I'm sure it could be pretty easy to find because, you know, DC does have a website and I'm sure there is a place where it tells like, well, you know, okay, <laughs> I got a better idea. What's the most recent trade paperback I have? Because we we should do that. We should we should encourage people. You know, if you're having trouble locating this material, or if you'd just rather have it in a trade or whatever, you know, or maybe you own the originals, but you want a you know a really nice looking you know reproduction of it. You know, start you know send those start sending those letters and postcards to whoever you know DC and just. Tell them, reprint this stuff, damn it. Because it is a shame that, you know, here's one of the best series that, that DC put out in the 1980s, and it's not been reprinted. Uh, what, you know, what the hell's up with that? Maybe that's something we should ask uh, Roy Thomas. Maybe it's something that he's, you know, not Privy holding to? it up, but maybe they haven't met him with a proper number. Could be. Could very well be. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend, and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell. 
called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytube.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos. We love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to victory. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider Man. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang.
monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. All-Star Squadron Roll Call is The Shining Knight. Mike's going to sneeze. Okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, damn it. It still feels like it's about to come. Jesus. God, I hate that. Anyways. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> 